This is Nature News from RSPB Scotland. Hello and welcome to our podcast, Nature News from RSPB Scotland. I'm Stephen McGee. This is where we bring you stories about nature, from global news to the little things we're noticing every day. And I'm Kate Kirkwood. There's never been a time when staying in touch with nature and acting to protect it has been more important. Now, we're keen to hear your nature news, whether it's the little moments you've experienced or your thoughts on the big issues affecting the planet. You can contact us on Twitter at RSPB Scotland or you can email us at podcast.scotland at rspb.org.uk. And please, please subscribe and leave a review because it really does help other folk finders in the podcast jungle. So suffice to say it has been a busy couple of weeks and welcome to anyone who's here having listened to our podcasts. Well this is the original podcast, not the OG podcast as Stephen wanted me to say. Yeah, just yeah. sound a bit cool but okay <laughs> fine. Uh, and we always start with our nature news. Uh, we're joined today by RSPB Scotland director Anne McCall. Hello. Um, hello. What's your nature news, Anne? What have you been seeing? Well, it's been a bit nature light oh. for the last couple of weeks because I've been over uh, in Glasgow at the COP. Uh, but uh, just this weekend, there was a, a small flock of long-tailed tits came through the garden and they might be about one of my favourites. Although preferences, obviously, uh, a bit bad. But yeah, they're, they were just beautiful just dotting around the garden trying to get little bugs and insects. They are lovely, aren't they? Yeah. I think one of my friends refers to them as flying teaspoons. A <laughs> <laughs> little ball of fluff on a long tail. Oh, they are ridiculously attractive. And yeah, it was a wee, it was a wee highlight while looking out mm. from the kitchen sink. How about you, Kate? Um, I took a really nice walk to the beach uh, down in East Lothian the other day. Um, so obviously took the dog. She uh, had a whale of a time. But yeah, just really lovely being out it was just after there'd been a bit of a storm as well, so there's loads of kelp and kelp anchors and things. And I really like looking at all the stuff that's been kicked up from the seafloor. Um, so nothing um, of any particular note other than usual gulls um, that you might see around the coast. But uh, yeah, just a really nice kind of day and seeing the sort of rawness of the nature at this time of year. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's again, that beginning, the, the divine life in autumn and winter, isn't it? Yeah. And like, things begin to pick up a bit. Um, my, my nature news is that when I was in Glasgow, and I'll pop the video for this uh, in the show notes. Um, I, I went to the park with Dr. Scott Shanks, which was work, <laughs> right? Um, who's one of our guys uh, working over there and knows tons about urban wildlife. And amongst other things, we saw this lovely wee fox, Ooh. which basically came up to say hello, this gallus kind of <laughs> wee fox. Um, so it was lovely because it was right in the middle of a really busy bit of cop, you know, and we I just stepped out for an hour. Mm. And it was, I know we preach a lot to people, right, about the restorative value of nature, you know, when you're in the middle of difficult things or busy things or whatever. But it was nice to actually experience that for myself. It was good. Um, which brings us to cop, right? Effortless segue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, how smooth, no grinding gears there at all right um so and well first of all how are you feeling after call oh well it was quite a two weeks quite an experience yeah i'm I'm tired probably a little weary but um i've had the chance for a bit of restorative weekend a bit of a walk bit of a wander about outside because i guess one of the big things about something like cop is that you are largely indoors talking to other people intensively for two weeks which at any point in your life is quite knackering but after 
two years of being indoors in a pandemic, not seeing thousands and thousands of people, it's it's quite a it's quite a gear shift. So yeah, it was the whole experience was extraordinary and unique. Um, I don't think I'll be going to another COP just unless we have another one in the UK. But it was quite a mixed bag in terms of outcomes. I mean, anyone who listens to the COPcast will hear some of the really great analysis of it. Mm. But it really does come down, I guess, to to your perspective on on you know what you went in looking for. Because um, there's some there's some good stuff. There is some really welcome stuff. I mean, I was reading the actual text of the of the outcome the other day, and obviously nature is there, biodiversity is there as a tool to tackle climate change which is exactly what we wanted to see on the face of the text because i was quite interested in one thing about that like i don't know how you feel about it, kate but when i was talking to our people who've been to lots of cops like particularly like mel see who's been mm. to loads of them right she was super excited about like this this paragraph right and i was in like the, i can't remember how long the document is three or four pages and there's a paragraph in there about nature and she was saying look this is it this is a really big win you know like yeah. before before the last one it was never mentioned at all and it seemed to me really strange that you would have a cop process and not mention nature it does seem strange from an external point of view i think but i think that's also is part it sort of belies part of the organization of, of cop yeah. 26 and the other the other cop which we will come on to talk about later on um is the the biodiversity cop uh, yeah, in china exactly. So I think that's probably where the the division has come across. But I, it, as a, as a layperson, to my mind, of course, the climate and nature are interlinked, and we talk about yeah, that no, a lot. It seems to be Nevertheless, we shouldn't underplay this, right? This is genuinely a victory. It's what huge, we wanted. huge. Yeah, it's a huge outcome, and it, it should influence lots of other things, uh, not least being the. COP15, mm. which Kate was talking about, um, because the context of looking at biodiversity and nature will also now include thinking about what it's doing for the planet and climate. So that's a really big win. But, you know, on the downside, there's lots of other stuff which I think us and loads of other, obviously loads of other folk could hope to see more progress on. Um, you know, the, the, you know, sort of the approach to coal, which is a bit more mealy-mouthed than I think everyone had really been hoping. The, you know, loss and damage approach to the Global South, which if you're, a, you know, from the Global South, I imagine you've come away from this COP feeling pretty ignored, pretty marginalised. Yeah, mm. we should maybe explain for people that loss and damage is essentially the, 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 in a sense, it's the debt we owe, yeah. right? The, mm -hmm. Right, the global south is the is, is, is the is the fact that they are, are facing this kind of triple whammy, right? First of all, they have not industrialised at the pace we've industrialised in the past, so they're being expected to cut their emissions at a point in their economic cycle when we didn't have to, right? Second up, they are the people who bear the brunt of climate change, you know, more than, it, yeah, more, than, more than anything else. And, and third up is the fact that actually largely these, these economies didn't cause the, 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 yeah. the problem, right? And Kate, I, I know you were with me on the day of action, mm. right? And there was a lot of civil society stuff going on the outside mm. and loss and damage is a massive focus for them. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the, the kind of the big message that seems to have come out of that large action is that actually it's not just about nature and it's not just about climate. People have to have, there has to be social justice amongst this as well. And so when people are talking about climate justice, it has to take in every different aspect of that and the fact that it impacts people on a much broader scale than we experience here in the UK or in more developed countries um, and there really were so many people 
um, out for climate justice. When you're outside the fence, that loss, I think, I'm looking just at Twitter and stuff and social media, quite a lot of people are quite sad about that. It's not just they're angry about it, it feels quite like a betrayal, really. Yeah, I totally get that. And it's also, you know, it's it's about fundamental fairness. Mm. And I think that speaks to, you know, a lot of folk who are concerned about climate and concerned about what's happening to the planet. Fairness is, you know, it's an intrinsic value. So, yeah, it cuts right to the heart of that. My day job is working with young people. And as I was doing uh, in the run-up to COP and during COP as well, thousands of them were making sure that their voices were heard over the last two weeks. I spoke to two, Millie, who is a residential volunteer at our Forsnard Falls Reserve, and Shay, who founded an environmental NGO in Nigeria and traveled to Glasgow for the COP. Both of them spent time inside the summit as observers and outside with young activists. And I caught up with them on Friday as the COP was drawing to a close. Hello, we are on what I've decided now to call the Bridge of Pod, uh, aka the Squinty Bridge. Uh, I'm with Millie and Shay, who've uh, podcast veterans, right? You guys have been on already. Um, now, the last time we spoke was last week, and there was a bit of a sense of, you know, feeling that you weren't getting the, the, the access and the traction that you'd hoped to get. Shay, have things improved over the last uh, wee while, or has it stayed the same? Okay, so. Um I think reflecting on my experience so far, I've like had more lessons learned, sort of, personally, as probably a young person trying to like um, navigate the whole COP experience and trying to like air out your opinions and understanding how the framework operates. I've, I've, I sat, I sat back yesterday just reflecting on my whole experience and try to drive, derive lessons. Um, I don't know if I'm going to answer the question directly, but like I'm going to answer it to the best of my understanding. You, you, answer, you want to answer it, yeah. Um, so I've learned lessons. Firstly, what I could have done better in terms of like accessing um, and being able to access where negotiations would be made is probably being affiliated with someone that has probably been at COPS, right? Because coming into COPS, Honestly, like the stress of understanding things alone is really, really overwhelming, and just wanting to like get your message out so it can really be heard. But like, if you have someone that has probably already walked this route before, it's much easier. So like, probably if I had like, if I had to like redo my week last week, I'll probably start the week with like someone who's probably been a cop, right? Just like, just listening, probably asking the person questions, reach out to others, ask questions if you do not know understand some things don't be afraid to ask questions keep on asking questions it's better to ask than not to ask at all um what, right yeah. while the jet skis are going past with the coast guard on millie how, how's your experience yeah. been has it improved for you yeah i think similar to shay i've had the chance to reflect a lot on what happened last week um it was very overwhelming as a young person yeah. like shay said when you don't necessarily know what you're going into and you know that you want to make it meaningful and I think you can put a lot of pressure on yourself as a young person on what you need to do and you want to make it count and you want to do people proud and you want to do other young people proud um, but at the end of the day you also do only have a limited capacity to do that especially if you have not as much knowledge as other people who are there and it can be a struggle to decide how best to use your resources when you're there but on reflection I think 
you know, I am still like proud of what I managed to achieve, even if it's not what I initially wanted to do when I was there. Thoughts inevitably now turn to leaving, potentially, right? Um, are you looking forward to getting back to the peatland? I am. I think being at COP, while as amazing an experience as it has been, and I really value it, I'm ready to go back to Forsenard and get back to my on-the-ground work, restoring the peatlands, felling the non-native conifers, um, and just being back out in nature again. Because I think for me, it has been quite difficult to be in this big space that I don't fully understand, which feels quite like cold and corporate sometimes. Um, and so I think it's going to be really great to go back and be reminded why it is we're actually doing all this and why everyone is here in the first place um, and fighting and working so hard. Yeah, having something to fight for, literally. How about you? How are you feeling about that? Um, yeah, I look forward to going back to the work I'm doing. Actually, right now, my team's actually doing a lot of amazing work in still grooming youths, um, empowering youth and educating youth on the issues because I've come to understand that knowledge and environmental education is so crucial in this movement. Like, you can't be demanding and fighting for something you do not know about. Like, you have to know about what you want to fight for. So, like, um, really getting people to be more, getting more youth in Africa more enlightened about this issue and knows, to get them to know what is at stake. I, I suppose what I'm wondering is, is, like, is having had contact with this environment, put you in a position where you feel you're going to be a better advocate when you go home. Okay, so yeah, okay, so there's some events I was able to attend to, uh, um, attend and connect with some really helpful people that would help me gain access to more schools in Lagos, for instance. And also I was able to meet with a professor also that is really, really so excited about working with youths so like, and so many other people. So like all those beautiful connections would be very, very essential to helping me to scale my work back in Africa. Yeah. Come to Glasgow and meet people from Lagos here and end up it's strange, isn't it? But actually yeah, it's a kind of a, yeah, it's kind of how you'd hope these things would work actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well listen, we are very grateful to you for everything you're doing and for the time you're taking to talk mm -hmm. to us. And if is this if this is, I mean who knows how long you know cops gonna go on for, but if it's the last time we speak, thank you for everything you've done for us. Thank you, thank you for you. having yeah. us I mean Definitely. <laughs> I mean, maybe the first thing I should say about Millie and Shay, right, is that <laughs> they make me feel like, what was I doing with my youth? You know, I mean, I like, like she's founded an environmental NGO, which is, you know, doing environmental education schools, and Millie's busy saving peatlands, and what was I doing, basically, like, sitting in my room feeling sorry for myself. Having said that, right, I, how do you think the young people that you work with mm -hmm. experience COP and have you got any sense of how they feel now it's over? I suppose, I think there was a lot of excitement in the lead up to it and I think there obviously was a lot of energy around the Global Day of Action for the youth strike and for the, the Global Day of Action on Saturday. I think there is generally a feeling of a little bit of an anti-climax. I think there was hope for more, um, and as you'll have heard from Millie and Shay, is the frustrations, I think, kind of really coming through in terms of just wanting more. 
and wanting our leaders to have done better, I suppose, um, in terms of being really, really clear on what they were hoping to achieve and how they were going to achieve it. Um, I think something that's been mentioned a couple of times by various people talking about disappointments around it have been wanting to wait and see what actually comes out of the of the yeah, an understandable cynicism, yeah. right, to some extent, or scepticism mm -hmm. at least, yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, it's hard not to be enthused and struck by all these, like you know, like being on the day of action. Mm been on a couple of the school strike mm -hmm. days as well like you know being in amongst all these young people singing shouting chanting making signs being noisy speaking up i mean i mean that's a massive positive right yeah oh, it was one of the defining characteristics of the cop i think was the number of articulate passionate uh, clever outspoken young people who were making their voices heard and not just heard on the streets and uh, I mean I went to some uh, lectures, I went to a number of events where young people stole the show every time because of how they were presenting their case. I mean I was a, I was a young activist, I did a lot of kind of demonstrating and I, I completely feel for them. I think they're doing it bigger and better and louder than I or my generation ever did. Like, can I say, like, because I, I feel, because I went on the odd demo, right, in the past as well, right, um, and also covered some as a journalist, and I think there is a massive change in the tone and the nature yeah. of activism, and I, th I can't help but feel a lot of it's got to do with, like, when I used to go on demos when I was a student, it was almost all guys, right, mm. and, and, and it's been, so, I, I, one of the things I was struck by was, I think it was mostly girls and young women, Right on those on those things I was on, yeah. and the tone of it, and the sense of togetherness and interdependence and all that was quite a different thing and, and like better. Uh, well, I, I I'm really glad you picked it up because I think for me the the dominant voices were the female voices, and the the kind of hope it gives me. I mean, Barack Obama in his speech said, you know, kind of you know stay angry, stay restless, keep questioning things, and I, you know I guess on one hand, if I was a young person and somebody's telling me to stay angry, then that's exhausting. But the hope it gives me is that this is a generation of people who will see politics as the vehicle to change things because they're already in their understanding that and we've had a period of you know politics being uh, you, people not engaging with it not using it as a tool to drive what they want but oh my goodness the the young women particularly as you say the young women i met over the last couple of weeks if if they become the politicians of the future then gosh i'd vote for them <laughs> i think there's definitely been a movement i've definitely seen it over my lifetime so things, sort of protests and stuff when I was a teenager, that was quite a kind of niche thing to go and do where it's definitely more socially acceptable to go and protest about things now. But definitely what I am seeing is, like you say, angry female voices and I think there has been a lot more permission given to those young women where women before them have stood up and said, you know what, I'm not going to put up with this anymore, we don't deserve this, we've not done this, this the, the problem lies elsewhere. And do you know what we're not going to put up with it anymore and i, I love that and like that makes me feel really emotional because i know when i was their age i didn't have the bravery to stand up and do that in a public forum and risk that backlash and to be honest these young women face far greater backlash in that public sphere because we have twitter we have instagram we have all these media outlets where you have 
that scrutiny on mm. women who are 16, 17, 18 in their early 20s when actually that's quite a fragile age for a young woman kind of gaining their public persona. Um, and so I think that just that like really gives me total feels. I love it. I think it's fantastic and it really inspires me. Yeah, I know. There, there, there were a couple of moments on, on the day of action in particular looking around me when I was, I was definitely feeling it. Well, that's almost it for this week. We hope it's been worth a listen. And don't forget, we want to hear what you think. Uh, you can get in touch with us at RSPB Scotland on Twitter or email us at the podcast, podcast.scotland at rspb.org.uk. What should we be covering? What nature news do you have? And how are we doing? Now, Mandy Cohen, I presume from Edinburgh, got in touch and she says, just wondered if anyone else has noticed what appears to be a seagull nursery in Prince's Street Gardens. I walk through the section between the National Gallery and Waverley on my way to the station and there's always a group of adolescent girls just hanging out there. I think it's where they learn to have absolutely no fear of people. Is this normal? <clears throat> now, I did a wee bit of just light digging on this, right? Um, it, 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 like gull nurseries are a thing, gull crash, like like juvenile birds all mm. like. And I, I'm, my guess is from the birds that I've seen down around that bit of town, these are mostly herring gulls. Um, and like herring gulls, like all pulling together as juvies is quite is quite mm -hmm. is quite normal. Would you like to hazard a guess, right? When I was looking up it, at how long a herring gull is a juvenile for before it gets its full adult plumage and starts breeding? Oh, I think I might know the answer to this. Right. So. They have their first winter coat, uh -huh. and then they have their first summer coat, and then I don't think it's until the next, the following summer. Is it? Is it two years? It's four years. Four years. They're adolescents for four years. Oh dear me! But it turns out gulls like live quite. I never thought. I didn't know this. Where gulls live can live quite long. They can do like thirty years. Yeah, well, see, four four years is is nothing by comparison to humans, where we have yeah. adolescent children for yeah, yeah, it's, it I'm can be quite. An <laughs> <laughs> I think too long by my father's reckoning. But yeah, so these are probably they they, they are like gangs of juvenile, but but it's nothing sinister. They're not like hoodie. No, like they hoodie <laughs> scary gulls. You know what I mean? They're just they're just doing what they naturally Asshole do. Gulls. Yeah, they're just uh, they don't have a partner. They've oh. you know they've not matured yet. They're just hanging out with their pals. Oh, that. That makes you feel a bit sorry for them. Like, like lonely girls. Right, but, um, but anyway, thank you to Amanda for saying it. And please do use the email address, you know, podcast.scotland.rspb.org.uk and we will try and answer any questions at all that you have. Um, anyway. Yeah, let us know what you're up to. Get us in contact via RSPB on Twitter or on the email. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we will be back in a couple news. of weeks after we've all recovered from court. But thank you for listening and goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye.